Welcome to Take Me to Your Reader, a Pavement Pounders podcast. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we are your Pavement Pounders. Uh, we're running buddies. And while we're out there pounding the pavement, we do a couple of things. We run rather slowly, and we talk about a variety of topics. You guys Rather slowly. Rather slowly, yes. Um, but, you know, we talk about science fiction a lot. We do a lot of talking about books and movies, so let's combine our two passions. And, and so we decided we wanted to go with... Movies, kind of classic movies, well-known movies that are based on earlier written works, maybe that aren't so well-known. So we compiled a list of films that are adapted from earlier written works, and what we're going to do is read the book, watch the movie, watch remakes, reboots, whatever, and talk about all of it here. So for our first show, thought it was appropriate to start with something kind of classic. Right, guys? Right, right. So anybody want to jump in? So for our first uh, story... Anyway, we chose uh, Farewell to the Master, which been which has been adapted into a few movies that you may know of as The Day the They Stood, Stood Still. still. Yes. yes. Right. Most famously in 1951, <laughs> and then less famously and less gloriously in 2008. 2008, um, right. The same title. So, so the uh, the story, Take Me to Your Master, was a... Take Me to Your Master? No. Farewell to the Master. Farewell to the Master. Yes. yes. Take Me to Your Reader. Yes, take me Farewell to, your reader. to the Master, written by Harry Bates in 1940. And published in the October 1940 issue of Astounding Magazine. Yes, Astounding Science Fiction, which famously on in that edition, the cover had uh, Slan from right. A.E. Van Vogt, which was being serialized in that edition. Um, and that's a pretty classic science fiction book that I've read that you guys, Philistines, have never read. Nope, we haven't. No, we have so, not. Um, but it was never made into a movie, so... Must, Harry must be, it's clearly inferior. Right. Definitely. So because farewell that, to the master. Uh, that is the measure, right. though, of of a of a book's greatness. If, if it was turned into a movie, movie right? Yes. No, definitely not. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. So go ahead. Sorry. Back to the story. It takes place in the future, in a future where mankind has uh, populated the solar system and or other planets outside of ours. At any rate. Yeah. And basically, an alien ship appears out of nowhere in uh, Washington D.C. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't come in for a nice landing like right. in the films. It just. Appears, just kind of appears, a, materializes a space out of time nowhere. Vessel. Yes, and it, it sits there for a few days and kind of gives Washington D.C. a chance to amass people and military to observe it. And after a few days of sitting there, uh, two beings have emerged from the spaceship or time spaceship, however you want to look at it. Yes, that's Latu and his robot Newt. Right, which is then. Uh, Gnut. Then goes up, right. He under, under, undergoes a name change for the movies, but we'll get to that later. Upon upon emergence, Klaatu says a few words before he's uh, promptly shot to death yes, by says some a few words silly redneck in, in a tree. In a peculiar accent. In a peculiar accent, yes. yes. Which translate to British, apparently. Right. Or, whoa. So, anyhow, that's kind of in broad strokes what the story is. Right. Though, then, where the movie basically, both movies take place from right there the next couple days, right? Right. But the story, the action shifts a few months. The, this part that we've been talking about is sort right, of done right. in flashback. After the, after Klaatu is shot, the, uh, story kind of flash, fast forwards three months. It's, it, the, the main, main part of the story takes place three months after this incident. Right. Where a memorial has been built for Klaatu and the... Right. Gort has gone inert. Right. As far as, I'm sorry. Newt, 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 Newt has gone inert. Well, supposedly inert or... Right. As far as, as, far as human can observation tell, yes. can tell, inert. 
Which is, it's, it's kind of done in both movies. Right. And, and the, the, the main character of the story is actually a, an investigative journalist who's taking photographs of the scene and notices very slight movements in Newt's posture and position. Right. So he knows he's not and actually so he, staying Right. Here. So he, he knows he's not actually staying, staying still. He, so he tries to observe Newt overnight and. Right. So that's where the action of the story Right. The action happens. of the story happens. And, and without, without spoiling the rest of the story, you know, okay. the, the, the mystery, right, is what, what right. is Newt actually what doing? What is Newt actually doing? Yeah. Right. Um, so. so we should mention, you know, we all read the book. James reread it once, so we'd have right. some sort of a resonant expert here. Um, then we all watched the original 1951 film, and we all, all watched the 2008 film also. Suffered more like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll get into that <laughs> later. Um, so, but let, yeah, we'll go ahead and talk a little bit more about about the book. Um, it was something none, none of us had read. No, I have cool. No. Um, yeah. Just because, you know, when we're going to start on, a I believe you like and this. you and Colin had seen the movie first, right? Yes. The 1951. Yeah, so you, you, movie, you right? it was, had you seen the 2000? I had not seen it. No, I haven't seen either one. Okay. No. Yeah. So, so for me, winning. for me, the story was the first introduction to this. The, the, I should say the short story was the first introduction to the story. Right. Um, and so I kind of prefer the short story to the movies. Right. Whereas Colin had seen the, <laughs> The 1951 movie, and that's sort of our pre-existing right. prejudice is that's the story. Yeah. Um, so, spoiler alert, it leads to Colin and I preferring the movie. Right. But, <laughs> I think, you know, we all read it, and it's an enjoyable story. It's it, We should probably mention that it's quite short. Um, it's easily readable in one right. sitting. It's maybe In the ebook, it was 27 pages. Yeah. In hard copy, it's like 40. <laughs> right. And I think we, we found it online someplace, published. Right. Um, where we could get it, but I did actually order. Yeah, it's good to know copy. it is free online because it was the copyright expired and no one renewed it, so it, it was right. available free online. Which is interesting too for something that yeah. was, I mean, it's such a classic movie. It spawned think, two movies, yeah, and you'd yeah. think you'd have more copies of it out there, but right. it's not a terribly popular one. It's published in, as I've subsequently found out, in a lot of anthologies. Um, I actually oh, right. just ordered one. I was telling Colin about it that has a number of the things that are on our list um, to do. So, and I guess that's at this point we can mention we have a website, uh, pavementpodcast.com. And there on the, uh, on the page, we have a list of everything that's kind of under consideration for us to do in the future. And, um, we really have no interest in trying to figure out what we're going to do next. Uh, we, we do, we have actually figured out the next two, but after that, um, quite willing to take, um, recommendations, advice. Yeah. It keeps us from having to make a decision because with the three of us, it, uh, it gets pretty hairy. Many miles. To, yes. Many, many, miles. many miles go by and yes. we, we still do not know what we're going to do next. So if you want to contact us there, there's a contact form on the page. Um, you can also email us. It's feedback at podcast, uh, pavementpodcast.com. Sorry. Feedback right. at pavementpodcast.com. And if you've got a book that you want to recommend, or if you look at the list and you see that we've got something down at the bottom that we should absolutely do next, Fire off an email, and uh, at this point, if we get any feedback whatsoever, I'm considering that it's going to be gospel, so we just go with it. Except um, for wives. Wives are... Yes. Wives and children don't count. Yeah, we know you're obligated to listen to us, <laughs> either in podcast or regular form. Right. I don't know. I think I think if, if the wives like, were like, oh, you, you guys absolutely have to do this one next, I'd, I'd go with that. Keep me from yeah. having to make a decision on Good it. Good point. So. Um, so back to the story, yeah. real quick. Uh, so we have, we're at the point where Klaatu is shot. Three months later, we have the investigative journalist kind of observing the whole area with Newt and the, so I should note that Newt and his spaceship, the landing site has turned into a, somewhat of a museum. Right. And then, uh, uh, Cliff Sutherland, our investigative journalist and arguably main character of the story at this Definitely point. Definitely main character. Um, observes Newt attempting to resurrect Klaatu. Right. And that's the, 
kind of the the main drive of the story from there. Right, and that's one of the main his efforts of of trying to resurrect. Uh, which is what, like we said, and the main difference is between yeah. that and the movie. Well, yeah, because in both movies, Klaatu is shot really right. soon after coming out of the ship, but he's not killed. And right. in, the, in the story, he's actually dead. Right. Um, yeah, whereas, the story is actually dead and yeah. he is going through the attempt to resurrect him. Right. Via, via our cool, uh, quote unquote bad science, perhaps. Right. And we, <laughs> do you want to talk about that now or should we wait till later? Let's go ahead and talk about it now. Yeah, let's go okay. talk about it now. Yeah, so you want to talk about Sure, what? sure. We'll keep going. So the, um, you're just attending to resurrect Klaatu via a form of cloning, and that cloning is via sound. Right. So in, in theory, you have this recording of a being, and using that recording, you can clone said being. Right. So you just, um, And so depending on how perfect the source sound is, is how perfect your clone will be. Right, so Newt's first few attempts As, failed because the right. audio recording was not perfect. And and Cliff, you know, Cliff Sutherland witnesses a few of these cloning attempts, you know, gorillas and right, other humans. Right, kind of typical and, experimentation right. methods, right? And trying he, to he notices that the usually the subjects tend to go insane, mad, mm-hmm. and, and die shortly after uh, being birthed, I guess. Right. And yeah, so th- this is where I, I look at it and I'm like, are we calling that science <laughs> for science fiction, really? Right. Um, but you know, when, when, now that I'm thinking about it, I, yeah, I still, I kind of hate it, but, um, right. they didn't know about DNA in what, Back 1941 then, yeah. or whatever. I mean, right. I don't remember when did Watson and Crick oh, discover not, the, lot, I guess they discovered the structure either. of it, right? Yeah. So, they discovered the structure of it, I think, in the yeah, 30s. So I, I think genetics were yeah. not as well understood, certainly right. not by the general population. So this is the kind of thing that would be more palatable right. in the forties. To, to me, it seems now. like a fairly well extrapolated version of sonar. Right. So, take sonar, sonar and just connected like into a 3D exponentially printer. Exponentially right? throw it yes. out there. Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. And magic <laughs> 3D happens. printer and you get poof. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, and, and throw we, some unknown science in there because everybody knows unknown science is magic. Right. right. In, insert technical <laughs> talk here. Um, you know, I look at it and I kind of see it as more of a fantasy element that right. there's some magic to, to sound and then Colin interjects with. I invoke Asimov. Yes. So advanced <laughs> science, magic, indistinguishable. And, and so I guess I'm willing to give it a pass there. I just kind of look at it and go, no, yeah. I, I don't buy it. Right. Um, but, you know, it's kind of a fun plot device anyway. Um, and so the, the thing that we should talk about in – we'll start to transition into talking about one of the films is that um, the notion of why – the aliens came in the first place is never discussed anywhere in the story. Um, and so having seen the films, if you've seen them, which I'm assuming that our listeners have probably seen at least one of them. At least one of them. Um, sure. But having seen those, you'll, you'll be rewarded for reading the story just because it is really almost a completely different story, which is cool. And that's one of the things I think with this podcast, what we want to do is encourage people to go back and read some of right. these, these older stories that are, they're pretty nifty. Um, and, Sometimes easy to find, sometimes not so easy to find. But yeah, as we've usually don't, out. don't require a, a huge commitment from from the reader, um, which is cool. So, yeah, right. we encourage people to go read it. And actually, we have a copy of it that we'd like to give away, and we'll talk about that more towards Later. the end of the podcast. Right. So that um, well, right we before we uh, transition to the movies, I sure. say just a few things I liked about the book was that um, kind of how open it was to edition. Right. Like they didn't. It had sort of this timeless quality to it, where you could. Place this story anywhere, anytime, anywhere, you know, right. any, anywhere, anytime, any who. Yeah. And it still might be applicable. Cause yeah. there's, there's a lot of, 
like like Seth said, unanswered questions in it. They, they don't really explain why they came to Earth. They don't really explain what they're doing there in the book. Right, and that's right for adaptation, like to answer that question. Exactly. There's tons of open. There's open plenty of openness to the story where you could add in all these things to make it into a movie, which is what they did. And I, in that respect, I think the movies probably did a decent job. And yeah, the, the interesting thing is, you know, I, I look at short stories and, and kind of the perfect short story right. has, has a, you know, it starts with, with some kind of conflict and it's resolved in some neat way and right. there's usually a twist at the end. And in this case there is and we shouldn't spoil it because we want people to be rewarded right. for watching. Yeah, we're, we're going to stop so. now on that as far as description of the short story. Yeah, because um, it, it does diverge quite a bit from, from either movie right. in that twist. Um, and it, it, it's cool. So yeah, we don't, it, we don't want to, don't want to spoil that. Um, but, yeah, it it is a flexible enough short mm. story there. There's the meat that you can adapt into a into a film pretty right. easily by adding some stuff to it. It's just interesting that then they didn't adapt that twist, which is right. kind of strange because it's oh. kind of the distinctive of the story. Yeah, which so. was my favorite part of the story. It was like kind yeah. of relatively the twist is awesome. for the time. Yeah. And yes. so we we can talk <laughs> about that when we when we circle all the way back around, we'll talk about were these really good adaptations? Could they have done anything different? Well, right. Maybe maybe hit that. So so, um, the yeah. 1951 film? Well, just kind of general thoughts on the story. I mean, obviously you really liked it. Right. Really um, liked it. I liked the, you know, like I said, the timeless quality of it. Uh, yeah. I rather enjoyed the twist at the end because it did come out of nowhere and it kind of blows your mind. Yeah. And, uh, I rather enjoyed the, uh, fictional science aspect of it, the running right. via sound. Yeah, it bothered me, but it didn't bother James so much. So. <laughs> it was uh, an interesting idea. So, Colin, any, uh, any thoughts from you on the book? Well, earlier we talked about the different anachronisms. This idea that there was interstellar travel, but they're using film cameras. Oh, right. Uh, they don't have cell phones. Right. So they there's did no not wireless predict radar or digital photography. Right. Or computers. <laughs> right. Or computers. But I, I liked the, I mean, yeah, it's hit or miss with science fiction because you're, you're always going to find that kind of thing. And we were talking about Slan earlier, mm-hmm. where I was telling James that, you know, in that book, you've got this advanced society, or not advanced society, but you've got these mutated humans who can, who are telepathic, you know, and so they've got all this advanced technology and stuff, but no radar. I mean, just doesn't <laughs> right. exist. Um, and so it's just kind of funny, something that is to us just assumed we, we know about it, but it wasn't necessarily obvious. Um, right. So, okay. So the, um, the thing, the kind of advanced science that I really liked, it, it's this hit or miss, you know, no, they're still using film cameras, but the whole space time vessel is, was, I thought a kind of a cool idea because it seemed like, Fiction back then, it's all flying saucers coming in for a landing, right? right. But the fact that the, the idea that it's just going to sort of teleport in there, I thought was kind of yeah, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. Although the movie went back to the whole you know classic landing idea, right? Right. Right. Which yeah, that is interesting. Um, well, you could uh, think at what point in the so given the tech, the tracking technology we had back then, like in 1941, we didn't have radar yet. I don't. I don't think the British had discovered radar yet. Yeah, it's right around there, but I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it was during World War II they discovered radar, but it was I don't mm. think by 1940 when the book was written that it was discovered yet. No, I'm not sure. Um, so you got I think really the only form of tracking technology you had was like you see something. Yeah, look. So I mean, this up in the, the sky. In, it's theory, a in theory, the ship, even though they, in the book it says it materialized out of nowhere, if it was moving fast enough into landing right it would have appeared to materialize that no, that's a good point i hadn't thought of that yeah so as opposed to in the 1951 film or in the uh well not so much that one but the 2008 film they mm-hmm. actually track it in the solar system right, before it even from, gets like, Jupiter, there yeah so yeah of course in 2008 we had the ability to track things in the solar system whereas right, in right. 1940 <laughs> 51 and 41 yes. we didn't yes. yeah yeah and so i guess we can start transitioning towards towards the 
1951 film. Sure. I, I like the book a lot too. I, I don't have anything else to say about it. I think, I think you guys covered it. So, um, so anyhow, like we talked about, the, the movie was very famously adapted into The Day the Year Stood Still, 1951. Um, Colin is our resident expert for this particular part of the show. Yeah. So you want to take it away? Yeah. So it was written by Edmund H. North, uh, and it starred Michael Rennie, Patricia Neal, Sam Jaffe, Hugh Marlowe, and as the, uh, the son of Patricia Neal's character, Billy Gray. Uh, you might recognize a few of those names. Michael Rennie was a relatively unknown actor in the United States at the time, but he was well-known over in Britain. Uh, Patricia Neal kind of went on to become famous for doing lots and lots of movies. Uh, Sam Jaffe was, was relatively well-known at the time, uh, and as was Hugh Marlowe for doing various detective stories. And Billy Gray went on to star in, I think, Father Knows Best. Oh, really? But uh, nice. don't, don't quote me on that. Okay. And as we kind of talked about, where the, the book is about an episode a time that happens like three or four months after the UFO lands. The the movie takes this idea, what happens if a UFO lands and Klaatu comes out, but he doesn't die right away. Right. But he does get shot. He does get shot. He does get shot. He is taken to a hospital. He says he has a very important message for the world governments, but because he lands in New York City, no, Washington, Washington D.C. Yep. I'm getting your movies confused. I am. Right. I'm on top of it. Uh, he ends up talking to a representative from the United States government who's really not giving him the time of day. Right. So he decides to, to disappear, steal some clothes, and, and walk through the streets of Washington, D.C. I'm going to cut in on you right Please here. Do. Because there's a, I, I liked the sort of escape sequence in 1951 where he's in the hospital. He's sort of miraculously healed up, right? The doctor is like, I, I don't know what's happening. He's like totally recovered from getting shot in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the thing that cracked me up is the doctors are sitting there talking and they're smoking in the hospital. Um, but that's, you know, 1951, right? But it sort of shows Klaatu and he's he's kind of thinking, okay, I got to get out of here. And it shows the window and then he's escaped. It Doesn't it? I think that's what the escape sequence is like, right? I thought he faded out. I thought he faded out and he kind of comes up in the hallway and then takes some clothes from the colonel. And then it's a very nicely tailored suit. Okay. And then ends up walking the streets of Washington, D.C., where he ends up at a boarding house. Right. And it, it, it talks a little about about the the nature of the time of 1951. Definitely, that uh, uh, a, a complete stranger can show up in a boarding house right on a day in. when the news is abuzz with aliens have landed. Aliens right? have landed. Yeah. Of course, aliens wouldn't look like us. Right? No, definitely. Um, but they might sound English. Yes. Goes so. inside, rents a room with money that was in the the clothes that he's stolen, and usually within a short period of time, he has now become friends with this uh, secretary from the Department of. The interior, boy. Anyone who listens Government, to this, yeah. be, be sure to like laugh me about how wrong yeah. I am about some of this stuff. Colin is our expert on this, yes. so yes. Uh, and then uh, her son takes him on a, a guided tour all over Washington D.C. Right. Yeah. And we, we we laughed about this, right? Who today, if a stranger showed up at your house, you rented them a room. The next day, you'd let them take your children. Yes. Oh, all over Hillsborough, good, Portland. Please, please take my son with you and have him show you the whole city. Yeah. It, Right. A different time. Yeah. But, but also in the movie, you know, the, the kid is playing around outside in the street in Washington, D.C. after dark. Um, yes. So it, it shows, yeah, it was just a different time. So, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's worth mentioning the female lead is engaged to this sort of shady, douchey guy. Um, who is he a reporter, an insurance salesman or? I think he's an insurance salesman, yeah. if I remember correctly. And uh, he's kind of jealous of the attention that she's giving, you know, this stranger that shows up. Right. Um, and he's kind of suspicious about him. And in fact, as things get more and more suspicious, he's the person that turns in Klaatu. Right. And then starts this large chase scene where Klaatu gets shot and killed again. Right. And, and then we have the famous Klaatu, Klaatu Barada, Barada Nikto. Nikto. So they're trying to get back to the spaceship. 
And Claw 2 turns to Helen and says, if anything should happen to me, and this is paraphrased, go to Gort and say the words, Claw 2 Barada Nikto. Because Gort has the ability to destroy the planet and mm-hmm. you need to stop him. There's from no doing limit to, to his power. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, then she, she goes to Gort. And he's been activated at that point, and we have the body count of the movie. It's two. Two bodies. Right, other than right. Klaatu, I guess. Yes. Um, when Gort well, vaporizes. Well, dead, though. Not permanently dead. He's only mostly dead. Yeah, mostly. but he's not a lot really mostly alive either. Dead. Yeah. Mostly dead. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, he vaporizes the two guys, and then he comes after after Helen. Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, and she course, gives us our famous movie she, screen. She has to give a wonderful screen, because that's what actresses did at that point, and look right. pretty. Um, and have that awesome smoker voice that it does not age well. I saw some of the behind the scenes stuff with her like 30 years later and yeah, it just continued. I mean, she sounds like, sounds like me with a head cold. White. Yeah. Called Barry yeah. White. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> terrible. But yeah, she screams and says the words and it's, it's all pretty awesome. Actually. I love that scene. Yeah. And then she passes out and that actually brings up one of the more interesting things about the movie um, from a, of a trivia standpoint. About Gort, right? Yeah. So Gort was a tall, and I think you told us this, uh, he we worked at Grauman's Chinese Theater. Yeah, he was a doorman. Right? He was a doorman, he was a doorman yeah. at the theater. Great big guy, very tall but not very strong. And so uh, when there are scenes of him carrying people, they're actually on wires. And if you look carefully, you can see you, the you wires. You can totally see the wires. Yeah, uh, uh, you can only really see the wires in one of the scenes, though, right? Yeah, in the yeah. one where he picks her up. Right. Yeah, because there's, there's several other scenes like when he's walking up the ramp carrying Klaatu, he's actually on a cart. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> he's actually no. on a cart being wheeled up the ramp by a. Uh, Automatically, I would presume. Right. But. So Colin had some interesting trivia about the suit. Yeah, there were actually two Gort suits. They wanted to give this idea that he was a seamless piece of metal. That's an important point from the book. They were never right. able to get into the ship because right. uh, they couldn't find a door, no hinges, right. no no seams, nothing. So to give that impression, there were two Gort suits. If you saw Gort from the front, the seam to get the guy into the suit was in the back. Right. And likewise, if you saw Gort from the back when he's carrying Patricia Neal, Helen Robson, uh, up, the, uh, up the ramp, the seam is in the front. Right. Yeah, which is cool. And you mentioned that the suit is on display at the Science Fiction Museum in Seattle. Yeah, we just learned that today. So if you're at the Science Fiction Museum, you can go and you can find out if it's the front seam suit or the back seam suit. Right. And you can tell them, Colin Kuski of Take Me to Your Reader told you about that. That's right. So that's, (laughs) we'll be famous, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the movie's a classic. I, 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 I really enjoy it. And, um, it's, just the whole kind of atmosphere of it is is cool with the theremin music and everything. It's kind of yeah. the classic seminal science fiction movie. Well, it was our original idea, right? We want to do classy sci-fi movies that had right. been adapted from books. Right. And, yeah, The Day of the Earth Stood Still is a great candidate for that. Right. And I think both you and I had probably seen it, like, on TV on a Saturday afternoon at yeah. some point. Yeah, growing up. Yeah. Um, and my, my dad, um, I was talking to him the other day, actually, and he saw oh, it cool. in the theater with, with a friend of his that he's still Facebook friends with today. Um, when he was nine, when, when it he was, came out? Yeah, when he was nine. Sweet. That's and, awesome. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and he, and he loved it. And, and I talked to him a little bit and here we could talk about, um, the fact that the story, you know, doesn't, doesn't say why are the aliens here. And in this case, you, you, you mentioned it that he wanted to talk to government officials. He, he had an important message and the message is nukes are bad. Yes. You know, if you, if you want to squabble on your own planet, fine. You can destroy your own planet if you want. But when you develop the technology to come into space, don't try and bring a fight here. Right. Um, because don't, don't send rocket propel nuclear missiles into the, right. into space. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because you'd think, I mean, I know nukes are powerful and everything. And I think at, at that time, nukes were, you know, the idea was these could destroy the earth. Not, not just, right. you know, cause terrible fallout and damage, but like crack the earth and completely obliterate mm-hmm. it in some way. And 
I mean, now we kind of know, like you watch Battlestar Galactica and they, they're using nukes between ships right. and, you know, it's not a fatal hit. It's a bad hit, but it's not, it's not like they are the ultimate weapon anymore anyway. Yeah. So. so it was a cautionary table, tale, right? We had just finished World War II. Right. And uh, nuclear weapons were a large part of us winning that war, especially mm-hmm. when Japan decided to uh, to quit. Um, and the movie was somewhat controversial for the times because it was it was anti-government. Mm-hmm. You know, the government ignores Klaatu originally. They end right, up chasing him throughout him the movie. Yeah. Uh, one of the soldiers ends up shooting him at the beginning and at the end. Which is different because in the, in the story it's just some wacko in a tree, right? Some right. redneck or yeah, something. Yeah, some wacko in a tree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and so it was, it was, it was, like I said, it was controversial because of that. In fact, as you watch the commentary, uh, the director of the movie, whose name I've forgotten, was surprised that Sam Jaffe was playing the part of the professor. So, uh, Klaatu goes to talk to a professor. Since he isn't professor able Barnard. to talk to the world's governments, he'll feel, he feels he'll talk to their scientists and try right. and reach and them that way. And he's kind of a stand-in for Einstein, actually. I, I watched some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, and it's, they, they couldn't use Einstein, and so they, they went with this Professor Barnhart, who is the, you know, world-renowned physicist or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I'm uh, sorry, you were, you were talking about Sam Jeffy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was uh, put on the Hollywood blacklist, which was created in the 1950s for people that were suspected of communist activity. Right. And if you were on the blacklist, you were not supposed to be working mm-hmm. or being allowed to work. Right. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, I was watching some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on that, too, because I wasn't going to let you have all the fun. Thanks. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, where the, the guy who was casting it, you know, he, he ultimately, if they absolutely said, no, you can't have that guy, he would have chosen somebody else, but... Evidently, they, you know, he said, no, I really want him. So and it wasn't so, an and, absolute and they, prohibition then. It was just kind no. of a, hey, you should not be associated yeah. with this guy because he's, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Which, yeah. So it's an interesting point. Um, just a, it w- was it a kind of a progressive movie? I, in talking to my dad, like, he wasn't totally conscious of the, the Cold War. You know, he's nine years old. I mean, how, how, conscious of it are you going to be but adults at that time i think there there was a good deal of i think there were kind of two sides of it there was we have to build up our arsenal because russia bad um you know there, there was that, that the fear. arms arms race basically. yeah the fear of the iron curtain yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff um and on the other side the fears about nukes in general mm-hmm. um and so i think there's a balance there and so i'm not i'm not certain how you know was it how controversial it really was um for for its disarmament well, at a time okay. when the government had the ability to put you on this blacklist and cause right. you lots of problem, it was you know, a statement against the government. Right. Yep. So, um, James, you had never seen the 1951 film, correct? No, I had yeah. not prior, so, prior so to this. So tell us kind of your candid thoughts. And I mean, you had read the story, and that's the true story to you. So right. what did, what did you think when you initially watched it? Um, I initially, the initial watch, I, I, I still liked it for what it was, a mm-hmm. classic sci-fi movie, and I thought it was pretty... Uh, well done for a 1950s film. Yeah. Um, it it kind of reminded me of other black and white 1950s sci-fi era mm-hmm. film that I've seen. I thought the effects were kind of yeah. cool. Um, I mean, just kind of talking about what worked, what didn't work. Um, right. Like the, you know, Gort coming out with his suit and vaporizing things. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the, um, the story, I, I like the story and, uh, for, for its setting, the, I, I, I think I liked, I think I was okay with the reason why they came to Earth. Right. To warn you. To well, warn, it's a plausible reason right. why aliens might really come. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, if nothing else, to warn us, you, you could destroy your planet this way. But it's more of uh, don't well, don't more, complain. More of inter, you know, get off my Interplanetary peace. Right. Right. As well as or interstellar peace. Right. And we'll talk right, about which, the difference between this one and the 2008 right. one, where it's much much more of a 
Um, yeah. like so, Colin was saying, the 1951 is, we're warning you that, so you don't do this. Where in the 2008 one, it's, you've already done this. Right. And, and that's the problem. Yeah. So. Right. And we'll transition to talking about that one. So talking about things that didn't really work. I mean, yeah, it's a classic movie. I loved it. Um, but the, the kind of love story and love triangle thing with Klaatu, and I don't even know what the guy's name is because he, he's such a cardboard cutout of a character to me. Right. Um, I, I just didn't buy any of that. I, the, the relationship in the film that I liked was between, is it Billy? Yeah. And, and Klaatu. I really, and, and I think I talked about this at the time when we were watching it, that Billy is like the stand in for the audience. Billy's the actor. Bobby's the character. Okay. So bad. Bobby. Right. So I, Bobby is kind of the stand in for the audience and to, to get to know Klaatu and see that he's not completely alien right he's he's a reasonable person although at right. times he does come off a little dickish a but, little. <laughs> um, but yeah um that's just because he's British. Well, and he knows nothing about us and so you know learning it through the eyes of a child is actually kind of a cool thing right because so in a way he goes the other way the too, best right? of us yeah so Klaatu is learning who humans are through bobby right right bobby yeah bobby billy whatever it's, it's the same thing so, same difference yeah and anything else to say about the movie no it was good i enjoyed it nope. okay so then, as we mentioned, it was remade. Uh, it's not a re-adaptation of the story, which is a pity. Um, it's a straight-up remake of the 1951 film. Um, it even says in the opening credits that it doesn't say based on the story. The 1951 says based on the story by Harry Bates. Right. Um, whereas the 2008 movie says based on the screenplay by Edmund H. North. Yes. Yes. Uh, Wikipedia. It is my friend, and it is sitting right in front of me. Um so yeah, the, the the movie it's it has some differences, and like James said, the story allows for it to be set in any kind of century or milieu, right? And so coming to a post nine eleven world, um, instead of coming to Washington D.C., it comes to New York because it's like the the center of the of America had switched from D.C. to New York, and right. I think it probably gradually shifted anyway because of the UN and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of almost the center of the world, right? After nine eleven. Um, and in hindsight, it might have been better for Klaatu to land there in the first place in 1951. Right, to go to, go to the UN. Right. He didn't want to speak to the nation, uh, leaders of the nation right. or leaders of the nations of the planet. So what I think is interesting is that in both films, you know, he runs into government, government officials who want to give him the runaround. They don't right. want to, you know, they, they, they want to say, why are you here? What are you doing? Why are you messing with our planet? And he, he wants to just blow them off and talk to more important people. He wants right. to move up the ladder. Um, which it's a little strange, the whole vastly superior technology and he's able to be captured. Um, right. But, and, and so, like we said, the 2008 film, it's the same story, right? They, they, they come, they land, Klaatu comes out. He doesn't attempt to talk in this case. Um, but he gets shot. Gort activates, you know, and then becomes inactive. Um, Klaatu is kind of taken prisoner, taken to a hospital, mm-hmm. um, heals up. And in this case, and I, I really like that part where, where he's in this weird biological suit. We'll, we'll get back to that. Um, and then he talks to the government officials and the government, government officials don't want to allow him to talk to leaders of the world. Um, and he's talking to Kathy Bates, who's secretary of defense. And, um, she kind of says, well, you can talk to me. And he says, do you represent the entire planet? And she says, I represent the president of the United States, which I guess in her mind means the entire planet. Same thing. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Leader of the free world. But yeah, and so it's the, it's the <laughs> same, the outline of the story is the same. He escapes and, and, you know, meets a family, essentially, um, and learns something about humans and then either delivers a message or 
something. And the, the, the something is a little different in, yeah, the, in right. the 2008 film. Um, I, I feel like it's not a dreadful movie, but it's, it's pretty meh. Um, it's pretty, you know, the, the, the cinematography was kind of cool. I thought technically it was pretty good. It's just the main problem is the story. Yeah. So for what he's come to do, there's really no reason to talk to the government. Right. Well, and that, and this, so this is the problem, right? The story doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If he is coming and, and I guess I haven't mentioned it, it's an environmental message, right? It's, it's, you're destroying the earth. Right. Life is too important. Complex life is too important. We cannot allow one species, the survival of one species to threaten the deaths of so many other species. Right. Um, and as we learn in the movie, the aliens had come to earth 80 years ago. And so kind of one of my main problems is, well, why not deliver this message earlier? You know, as we were on our technological ramp, as our population was increasing, as we were threatening the Earth, why not give us a message earlier when something could be done about it? Because he talks about, you know, it's at a tipping point. We, right. It's too late. Um, and, you know, I'm spoiling the movie, obviously, but it's a recent enough movie. I think probably people have seen it. Or at least know enough about it. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. We can talk about it. Or it's old enough where you can spoil it. Okay. In the future, just, just for future reference, (laughs) if you're going to listen to the show, we're, we're going to spoil almost everything. We'll, we'll leave some mystery probably in the books because we want people to read the books. We, we figure people have probably seen the movies. Yeah. Um, and for future episodes, obviously we'll announce what we're going to do and you can read along, you can watch along and send us some feedback and, um, join the conversation, which would be cool. Um, but yeah, my, my main problem is a, there's so much in the movie that doesn't make sense. Like, and we've, we've talked about this before. Like at the beginning, right. they detect the object coming into Earth at this incredible velocity at, at like a tenth the speed of light. Right. And it's, they, they calculate Don Draper from uh, Mad Men announces, you know, it's going to impact Manhattan in 87 minutes or something. Um, and something coming in that fast is going to destroy a lot of the earth right there's right. a lot of kinetic energy there yeah and so they get all these scientists together and they want them to be around the impact zone which i don't understand if it's coming in that fast and then on on the helicopter as they're as on their they're way approaching the yeah, they're, they're going to ground landing zero, sites as it were and and they're talking about how an impact like that is going to destroy everything and yet they're still they're going still heading <laughs> um and that's the thing I, that doesn't make sense to me i think I it's guess, only on the way that they learn that the object is slowing right, right? as it counts down to zero yeah. you know they're all they're all kind of you know praying right. and 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 making their peace and then somebody goes oh it slowed down like, well, <laughs> duh um obviously it slowed down it slowed down let's go see what it is I was just looking through Wikipedia and I realized the budget for the original movie, mm-hmm. $955,000. The budget for the second movie, 80 million. 18 million? 80 million. 80 million. Yeah. So anyway, the, the story, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, th- there's some cool stuff in it and I'll talk about the stuff I did like, but, um. Well, they did sneak in the, uh, Obligatory Klaatu Vradanik. Yeah. And we have to credit Keanu Reeves for that because he actually insisted. But it took so. no significant portion of the story at all whatsoever in that movie right which was disappointing right yeah because because yeah. it adapted the earlier film you know it just it right. kind of it fits the same outline yeah. um but with less class and and less character and um, less um, yeah and even when it says it you can't totally I suppose there was understand less it too huh? there were significantly fewer screens yeah, that's disappointing um, yeah. and significantly more bodies yeah the body count is definitely that's much true. higher um so, yeah, he's come with this environmental message, and he wants to talk to the leaders of the Earth, right? 
Right. Um, and he, he runs into problems with the government, escapes, meets up with Helen Benson, who, you know, it's the same character name, which was cool. Um, and this is something we can talk about is the difference in gender roles between the, the two films, because in the 1951 film, she's there to be pretty and to be sort of a love interest and to scream at appropriate times. Right. Whereas in, in the more recent movie, you know, she's an astrobiologist. It's a, it's a cool job. Um, you know, she's really smart, uh, played by Jennifer Connelly, I should mention. Mm-hmm. Single mom. Single mom. That's right. And that's, that's where we get the, the kid character in there. And I don't even know what his name was. Um, and I don't care. Okay. It's, it's, it's Will Smith's son, right? Jaden Smith. <laughs> it's Jaden Smith. Who, yeah. he, he actually gives a pretty good performance, I guess. I thought he was a little unnecessary, other than, Colin, you mentioned that he, he does sort of do the same, fill the same role as Bobby did, connecting Klaatu to humanity. Yes. A little bit. Um, and that's, that's kind of the turning point where he decides, oh, maybe I shouldn't wipe out humanity. And this, so, we'll mention this, obviously, spoilers. Uh, you know, he's come and he talks to, to Helen and he says, she, she says, are you a friend? Or an enemy, and he says, I'm a friend of the earth. And that kind of, for a while, she's not totally sure what to make of that, and then she realizes, you're here to save the earth from us. Right. And and he says that, you know, if the earth dies, you die. If you die, the earth survives. Um, and the, the idea that taking humanity off, out of the picture completely, then the earth will have a chance to heal and... Everything will be better, right? And he, he talks at some point, and maybe we could talk about this about the science of it, says that there's, in, in the galaxy, there's only a handful of planets capable of supporting complex life. And I, I remember recently hearing on the Guardian Science Weekly or, or one of those science podcasts I listened to that, you know, recent calculations have said that there should be a bazillion yeah, planets. There should be billions life. of yeah. planets out there habitable. Yeah, just, that's Drake's equation. We just yeah. don't yeah. know about them. Well, well, yeah, it is. I mean, I guess it's, it's more recent calculations in 2008. In 2008, they might have thought, well, m- maybe there's only a few planets. And it's still possible, obviously. Statistics right. don't tell you everything. Um, but yeah, he, he gives that message to her that, that, sorry, we're going to have to kill you. And, and, and she pleads with him, you know, give us another chance. Give us a chance. And he says, I tried to talk to your leaders. I couldn't do it. And she said, well, those aren't our leaders. You know, the UN, that's not our leaders. And she takes him to see Professor Barnhart, kind of like in, in the other movie. And this is one of the bright spots. I liked John Cleese played, um, the Professor Barnhart. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the same kind of thing happens. He comes in, he announces his presence by finishing a formula or something, uh, writing something on the, on his blackboard while he's out of the room. Um, and so he comes in and he realizes, well, this has got to be the alien, obviously, because he's super smart. Um, which is funny because Keanu Reeves doesn't necessarily read as an egghead. No, um, not in previous roles. No. But, you know, he doesn't come with a resume. He comes with mathematical knowledge, which exactly. is something that the professor will respect right, right. away. Yeah. It's the universal movies. language, right? Um, the language of the universe is math. Yes. Um, but, yeah, and I, I like that part. And um, I think he responds to Bach music mm-hmm. um, and kind of starts to see there's a different side than the destructive side. There's the artistic side. There's the beautiful side. Um, and Barnhart asks him, he, he says to him, it's only at the precipice that we change, right? And this is our moment. Don't take it from us. Um, and there's some promise in that scene that, that maybe, maybe he won't take it from us, but it seems to me that in the conclusion of the film that he kind of does, does take anyways, the moment from us. Right. Um, because he activates Gort, mm-hmm. who is, what is it? Genetically organized robotic something. Technology, genetically organized robotic technology. Yeah. Right, um, which is kind of interesting because they, they never really talked about if there's genetics right. in there anywhere. But but I guess in that, the in that regard, it should have been Gorint 
genetically organized robotic nanotechnology. There we go. Yes, yes. Because, and you know, obviously, um, it, Gort is pretty cool in in the in the new film. You know, I think it was right. like a seven foot guy in the suit in the original one, and it's right. obviously a guy in a rubber suit, right? Yes. Whereas in this one, he's totally he's CG. Like a fifty foot robot or something. Yeah, and and yeah. he's 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 pretty awesome, and he he gets to kick some butt in, in the movie, and that. It's relatively cool. Although I have to say that there's a scene where they come in with a drone strike trying to take him <laughs> out and there's this mustachioed general or colonel or something that's ordering a right. drone strike and he's like a complete caricature of every like Ranger Rick you've ever heard of. America. Yeah. America, America totally. And, and he's <laughs> hilarious. And I, I mean, he was just chewing scenery while he was there. But right. you know, and he takes out the drones and takes them over and crashes them into tanks and stuff and probably kills soldiers, which not good. Um, but then ultimately when he, when he gets, Activated by Keanu walking on water and pushing buttons on this globe thingy in the swamp. Right. Um, because they don't have wireless technology. Right. Um, which we talked about before. <laughs> which, it's not like wireless technology didn't exist. It's just for some reason the screenwriters didn't... Didn't, didn't want to use it. Yeah, didn't want to use that. They yeah. needed to have him physically interact with the ships or the, the orbs or whatever, which I find a little... Like I said, my main problem is it doesn't make sense. Right. That's why he needed to talk to the governments. I'm going to be coming to each one of your nations and activating these these globes where I'm going to take samples of everything on the planet and then we're going to nuke you. See, now that would have been an actual way to do it, right? To go talk to a government, make an example of one when they rejected you. And activate Gort, he just wipes the U.S. off the map completely. And all of a sudden, the rest of the governments of the world are very compliant. Um, that That would have made, to me, a great deal of sense. But Maybe even environmentally friendly. Right, yeah. Um, although, you know, not all of the United States is terribly polluting, right? No. Flyover country. Right. Um, yeah. So, well, there, there is the off chance maybe he came with the intent of giving humanity a chance to convince him to not destroy. Right. So maybe if they hadn't shot him, right? That intent wasn't apparent throughout 90% of the movie, though. Right. Um, and so, anyhow, he activates Gort, and Gort changes from this big, huge robot. Um, into a, a cloud of nanoparticles that all look like little bugs, right? right? And it's kind of a cool scene when when he just eats his way out of the place. They, they've they've moved him to some kind of underground bunker. He breaks out of that, right. and then moves as a cloud towards New York City, and he destroys this semi truck, innocent trucker, and yeah. and like the whole road is disappearing, and the road signs are disappearing because it's it's just self replicating, consuming right. and multiplying. It's the Grey Goose scenario, right? Right, which is cool. It's it's a it's a nifty effect. Um, you had mentioned something, some quote about somebody about Gort in the new movie. Oh, um, uh. You looked that up. Um, you got it? I got, I got it. Uh, this was made by the entertainment reviewer for Entertainment Magazine. Uh, Gort isn't so lovey-dovey in the remake. Rather, he's a super tall obsidian Oscar statue wreaking havoc. Nice. <laughs> Which is about right. I mean, he still has that, uh, cool sort of Cylon, uh, one oh, of the yeah. centurion kind of look right. with the with the back and forth thing. Right. Actually, this is one thing I, I wanted to mention. There's there's a callback to um back to the book. To, back to the book because when they've got Gort in that underground shelter, um the government official comes in there and he looks at it and the eyes seem to follow him, which is which is just right out of the story, which I thought was that was a nice touch. Like that's the one the one thing from the story other than the fact that there's a robot and Klaatu yes. in the ship. Um so stuff I did like about it, I, I mentioned, you know, the the whole conclusion of it, the the power going off. Is he shutting off power forever? And I I don't I don't know how that is. I I, I said we we're going to talk about things I liked, but I'm still griping. Um, <laughs> I can't stop. And I got a microphone in front of me. 
So, so yeah. you liked Keanu Reeves' acting. Right? I did. Well, he goes yeah, from being I... very wooden and alien to being more relatable by the end of the movie, the, the man who then sacrifices himself right. to stop the destruction of the Earth, mm-hmm. even though it's at a great cost. Right, yeah. And, I mean, Keanu gets a lot of crap because um, he can be a little wooden sometimes. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed a lot of his films. And, and sometimes I look at him and I'm like, could a better actor have done something that I would like better? And I don't know. Um, but in this one, I, I do feel like he did a good job of acting very alien, which, you know, you could turn around as a knock on his natural acting. But I do feel like there's, um, development between when he first gets into his body and later in the film. He seems mm-hmm. much more natural. Um, which it's a credit to him. I think if you had gotten some really good actor, he would have just tried to act the hell out of it. Um, and chewed scenery in some way. And I feel like he, he kept it pretty reserved. Um, which it was neat. Um, so I, I, I credit him for, for a decent performance and for insisting that Klaatu Barada Nikto be in there somewhere, which is interesting because I don't think we even mentioned it's not in the book. Yeah. It is not in the story at all. No, not at so, all. Um, and I have no idea where it came from. And this is actually one of the funny things is James had never heard it other than in Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness was the first time I've been exposed to Klaatu. It's an N word. I know it. Yes. I, I yeah. did, I did find out later on that, um, Klaatu Vrata Nikto was supposed to be just a, an alien phrase to use for Gort in right. the 1951 film. It was, wasn't supposed to actually mean anything in particular. Right. And it's and, never actually been officially translated by the movie producers yeah. or the. Why translate it? Speculation yeah. is what yeah. the internet is made right. of. Exactly. So. Well, and here we are. You know, 60, 70 years later, still mm-hmm. talking about it, still shows up in movies. There's pop, uh, pop cultural references right. to it. Mm-hmm. But essentially, it was just a random phrase and a random alien language right. made for the movie to have it, have its day. It's, you know, have something to deactivate Gort or keep him from destroying the planet, as it were. Yeah. So I'll mention my favorite scene in the film. I mentioned I like the, the scene with Professor, Professor Barnhart, but when Klaatu escapes, you know, it's very, very subtle in the first movie, mm-hmm. um, when, when he escapes. Where in this one, it's, Klaatu kind of shows off his his awesome powers in that he's able to interface with machines in some way, which they kind of mention with the whole Gort acronym. Is is it a machine? Is it a living thing? It's sort of both. And right. so Klaatu is sort of both. And so they bring him in to the, take this polygraph test, which evidently no one is watching. Like they're in this empty room and no one is paying attention because he takes over the polygraph thing and shocks the guy. And nobody comes in, nobody breaks down the door or anything. Right. Um, but I did find that kind of odd. <laughs> yeah, but 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 he hints that his body is human, and they and they mention that when they cut him out of his sort of spacesuit because he looks like this gelatinous kind of stereotypical 1950s alien, kind of the, the slime slime creatures from outer space. Yes, right or film. the Pillsbury Doughboy. Right. Um, and he gets shot, and so they 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 cut him out of this thing, and it's some kind of weird placental material. Um, and when they pull him out of it, he's this larval Keanu thing just got pulled out of the matrix and he develops quickly into you know the adult piano right um with clothes on so um yeah and and but but he hints that I, I, i it's pretty explicit actually that his body is human but his mind is not and that's where his capabilities come from and so the guy asks him at the polygraph you know are you human my My body is yeah um and you know, do you feel pain? My body does. Um, and it's cool. So, so he takes. You do that so well. Yes, thank you. Whoa. <laughs> um, hey man, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. I, I loved that man. I saw it a bazillion times. So, um, if only been written from a book, we could review it. Totally. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, sorry. Reel it back in. Stay on target. Um. Stay on target. 
Yeah. So he takes over the polygraph thing and, and it's cool because the guy kind of gets shocked and he, he, he sits back up and he starts interrogating him. It's like he's given him truth serum and he asks him, you know, how did you get in here? And he tells him how he got in. Is there a security code at the loading dock or whatever, wherever you came in? And, and then, then he says, what size is that suit? And he tells him, take it off. And then it shows him and, and the camera kind of goes in through one of his eyes and you can see him looking through the security cameras and he, it go, and then it, then it zooms back out through his eye again and then back through the other one through other security cameras. Well, it kind of follows the wires, right? Tupac right. Is doing that. So yeah, you, totally. You, you can, you get the sense that he's, his consciousness he's interfacing is kind of with traveling all, yeah. through the wires to mm-hmm. interface. Yeah. With and then, thing. and then he, and not Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually, yes. As long as it is he's, not wireless. Yeah, as long as he's physically connected, he can do something. But yeah, ask him to uh, use radar or radio or right. or Wi-Fi. Yeah, can't do it. Yeah. Um, but but then he he's like able to send out some kind of audio pulse that disables all the people in the area. Um, right. But the cool thing is that then it comes back to him all of a sudden. He's still got the electrodes on his head, but all of a sudden he's got the suit on, and I, I, it's a cool transition. So I mean, you know, I want to credit the the filmmakers for doing some cool stuff in an otherwise kind of right. lame movie. Nice cinematography. I guess yes. at, at the end he does wirelessly disable all the electricity on the planet though. Yeah. Right? <laughs> which, which is a callback to the 1951 film because as a display of power, right. Klaatu actually disables all power for 30 minutes other than that, which is necessary to support like hospitals and stuff. Hospitals and um, other things. Yeah. So it, it's, it's the friendly pantsing of of the U.S. government, um, that he, I, mean, I don't know, does he do it worldwide or? It's worldwide. Yeah. There's this huge montage that happens as they go all around, all around the world showing that, you know, things don't work in Paris and things don't mm. work here and things don't work there. And, and the closest thing we get to that in, in this film is showing all the little globes that come down all over the world and they're collecting flora and fauna and stuff as arcs. Right. Little arcs all around the yeah. planet. That's actually, okay. So back to a gripe. Um, at some point when they realize th- th- they're kind of zooming in on one of the orbs, and they see that it's got ordinary cephalopods in it. Um, and they, they realize this is, this is not alien. This is earth life that's mm-hmm. in there. And one of them says, Oh, they're arcs. Like in the Bible, you know, and, and then they have to spell it out completely because then the Don Draper guy right. says, Well, if they're the ark, then after the ark comes. Dom, 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 the flood, you know, I mean, <laughs> right. it's, it's like totally, like they can't allow the audience to draw any conclusions. All they had to say was it's the arc. And I think 90% of people in Western society would have realized that reference. Probably would have gotten it. Yeah. Probably. But on the other hand, it's the secretary of defense and yeah, I don't know. The secretary of defense. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Anything you guys want to chime in about the 2008 film? No, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I think so. If 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 we were to put it to a vote and say, you know, what order do you put him in? I go nineteen fifty one film, easy, um, and then the story. Although you know the the story was good enough that it's yeah. it's not super super easy, but it's it's definitely third place. There's no, there's not a comparison between the two thousand eight film and and either of the other two items to right. me. Yeah, I agree with you exactly there. Nineteen fifty one movie, then the book. Uh, and then, yeah, somewhere in, in the down the line is the 2008 movie. It had potential in many, many places. Yeah. And there were good and things pretty. about it, but we spent way too much time talking about the gripes in it versus what right. we've talked about the book and the movie to say that it's, it's even close. Right. I mean, on the other hand, if we just wanted to talk about stuff that we love altogether, we you know we would have watched the 1951 film and just left it at that. Right. Um, but yeah, to me, I I think the way we're going to do this is try and find all the adaptations of it of, of whatever work and 
talk about what worked and what didn't. And to me, like right. the whole 2008 movie it didn't, did not work very well. Um, the, a few bright spots, you know, maybe worth watching. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I think the 1951 one more worth watching. Yeah, I, I feel like, you the know. The story is definitely worth reading. Only, I mean, if, if not for the story itself, it'll be an hour of your time. <laughs> right. And, and I, I guess I would say that, like, for being a cultured science fiction fan, right. watching the 1951 film seems like a non-negotiable. I mean, it's a, it's a classic. It should be watched. Yes. Um, the story should be right. right. I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's good. So I, I would say definitely film. if you're in the classic sci-fi movies. Yeah. They, they're still 1951, for sure. Yeah. You know, the 2008 film, I'd say skip it and perhaps watch Planet of the Apes. And this is where I kind of wrap up our discussion of the previous one, and we talk about what we're going to do next time. Um, next time, we, we have actually already all read Planet of the Apes by Pierre Boulet, which I think a lot of people don't know was a book before it was a movie. Um, or that it was a French book. Or that it was a French, French book. book. That's yes. right. And written in French, actually. Um, and the main character's name, not, not Taylor. Um, no. It's, it's some <laughs> French name that I'm going to butcher next time we... And doesn't record. the actual title translate to Monkey Planet? Yeah. Evidently, evidently there's <laughs> no word in French to distinguish between monkey and ape. Um, I don't know. Someone who speaks French can send us some feedback. Yes, correct us if you're wrong in feedback, please. Yes. Um, so... For next time, we are going, we're reading the book. We're watching the original 1968 film. We're not going to watch the whole franchise. We might discuss some of it. I've seen them all. I think Colin's seen bits and pieces of them all. I think James, you've only seen the no, original. I've only right? seen the original. Um, and then we're also going to watch the remake with Marky Mark, um, and watch the reboot, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit in there, at least, um, just to kind of be complete. And I know there's another one coming out this year. Um, the sequel to the reboot. The sequel to the reboot. That's right. Um, right. So if you want to tune in next time, I encourage you to go read Planet of the Apes. You have time because we're pretty slow with this. Um, probably worth mentioning kind of our idea for what kind of cadence we could do here. Um, other, you know, like sci-fi movie podcasts, for instance, the sci-fi movie podcast, which is a good show. Um, you know, they're watching movies and then doing podcasts, and they can pretty much kind of do it like once a week. With us, we're going to be, sometimes we're reading a short story that only takes an hour to read. Other times we're reading a 300-page novel, which, you know, for Colin, that might take an hour and a half to read, but for James, it could take three weeks. So, <laughs> um, some, and somewhere between there is me. Um, so we're not going to be able to do this every week. Every two weeks, probably a stretch. Um, wouldn't be able to fit in much regular life. So if we can do one a month, I think that's probably worth shooting for and we should try and be consistent so we'll see how it goes on the first few reads right. um probably what we will end up doing is alternating where we read a full-length novel and then we go to a short story just to just to make the next burden less and perhaps in future we should pick something that where it's a book and a movie and that is all and just talk about that where it, or with planet of the apes you know we're doing three movies and that that takes up some time. Right. If we ever do Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you know, it's it's the book, and then it's at least three movies. I think there's even a B movie in there, kind of a a more horror take on that. Um, and right. that's going to be a lot of watching. Yeah. So, um, you know, the movies you could do them in an afternoon, obviously, but the book the book is going to be the long pull. So, for cadence, don't look for us doing this once a week. Uh, hopefully, we can do one a month, <laughs> and but that gives more time for anyone in the audience to. Catch up with us. plenty of time for feedback and for you to catch up with us. Right. And yeah, you, you send us some feedback, feedback at pavementpodcast.com or fill out the contact form. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash pavementpodcast. Been completely consistent with the naming here. Good job. So, uh, Twitter is at pavementpodcast and we even have a Goodreads page, goodreads.com slash pavementpodcast where we have the list of everything that we've 
compiled, but we haven't put in any particular order. Um, so if you want to see what we're considering doing, if you want to send us some feedback, what we should do, or if you want to read Planet of the Apes and send us your thoughts on it, um, chances are you're going to be the only person contacting us. So <laughs> we'll probably read it. Um, and maybe even put it, you know, you might, you might, uh, spur some discussion between us. Yes. Go ahead. Giveaway. Yes, that's right. I had mentioned I, I teased the giveaway and we got to get back to All it. Right. So we have a paperback copy of Farewell to the Master, which we are willing to give away. So, um, I think we should confine this probably to email. With a rather decent introduction, I might add. It actually does have a cool introduction. Yeah. It talks about the, the films and the book, um, right. and kind of the influence of the, of the story. Um, and it's maybe 60 pages or so total with the introduction and the right. story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, w- I want to confine this to the contact page. So go to pavementpodcast.com and there's a, I think, contact us page there. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a contact form and an email link on that page. So in the subject line, just put giveaway. Um, and then, you know, obviously we'll need some way to contact you. You have to put in your email. Um, and if you're not directly related to us or married to one of us, then you have a very good chance of winning the giveaway. Um, and then I'd, I'd contact whoever it was that we drove out of a hat and send it out. So, and I think that's about all we have. That's guys, podcast. Any, any, any final thoughts? Nope. Nothing? Klaatu Verata Necktie. Yes. Yeah, we will have to outro with that, I think. Okay. Well, thank you very much for listening. And we, we have a Pavement Pounder's Blessing. Uh... I'm going to end with this. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always fall open to where you left off. Thank you. Bye. Plateau. Barata. Necktie. Nectar. Nickel. Noodle. It's an N-word. It's a definite word. Plateau.